Free Jambalaya presents Phantom Limb Horror Stories for a Maladapted Species Episode 5 The Beep Classic buy low, sell high situation. Market's still strong, so I'm thinking in two years we flip, clear up maybe 20K on the whole thing. Uh huh. This is Mark Burster, 36, male, software engineer, father of two, husband to Rita. Of course, you gotta put in the work. Sure, yeah, you, you gotta put in the work. White, upper middle class, possessor of two degrees. One patent, three cars, a comfortable suburban home. At this moment, he is enjoying some light self-aggrandizing small talk with an acquaintance from work. And you gotta do it yourself if you want to actually make money. You can't hire it out. Mm. They're standing on Mark's deck, a deck he built himself. Mm. You know, I built this deck myself. But Mark is ignorant. Unaware, as he chats, that he's mere moments away from the most important encounter in his life. An encounter that will shatter the foundations of his puny, comfortable world. An encounter with the Beep. So anyway, I'm talking to this contractor, and he's trying to convince me that this cryptocurrency is running on an SQL database. And I'm like, okay, so that's bullshit on so many levels. Hey, Marky. Yeah, babe. What's up? You got the kids in bed? Yeah, they're down. Nikki didn't want to go to sleep without Beeboo. And of course, it wasn't in his little net thing where it's supposed to be, so I had to hunt around for it. And, you know, it wasn't under his bed yeah, either. Yeah. Well, Jeff and I were having a conversation out here. Hey, Rita. Hey, Jeff. Mm, it, it's just that, um, hey, I, I went into our room, and I heard this sound. Uh, what sound? It's, um, some kind of beeping noise. It's really quiet, like, like you can barely hear it. I can't figure out where it's coming from. Well, uh, so look for it. I looked. You looked for it? Yeah. Okay, um... I'll, I'll come find the scary noise for you. Uh, hang on, Jeff. Okay, buddy. Visibly, even performatively annoyed, craft beer still in hand, Mark abandons Jeff on the deck, intending to return once his husbandly duty, akin in Mark's mind to the slaying of a spider or the quick plunging of a clogged toilet, is fulfilled. But Jeff will be forgotten left to slink back to his car alone and humiliated, for this is no ordinary beeping noise. Okay, now close the door. I don't hear any... Listen. There! Yeah, there it is. Wait a few seconds, it'll do it again. Huh. What is that? I don't know. It's really faint. But it's definitely something. 
I don't like it. Where is it coming from? Hard to say. Some toy, maybe? You check the dresser? Yeah. And you want me to find it? Would you please? I want to go to bed, and I know it's going to bug me. I'm going to make fun of you when I look in there and find it. Fine. Make fun of me, but would you please just Okay, 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 okay. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Thank you. I love you. You are very (laughs) sweet. I love you so much. All right, okay. Now, where in the hell... Mark stands still, listening carefully. The sound is emanating from the north side of the bedroom, possibly from a dresser on the north wall, and... Yes, he thinks. Definitely from there. It's something in the dresser. He opens the second drawer, which holds several likely culprits in the form of old cell phones and seldom-used tablets. He pauses. He lowers an ear to the drawer. Still quiet. Muted, somehow. Still hard to tell where it's coming from. He begins to pick up items from the drawer. He holds them, one at a time, to his ear, listening. A dead wristwatch? No. Rita's old digital metronome? That's not it. Any of several defunct cell phones? Clearly not. At length, Mark decides that the beep cannot possibly be coming from the junk drawer. And so he embarks on a more systematic search. Drawer by drawer, top to bottom, opening. Listening. Rummaging. Listening again. Half an hour passes before, every drawer double and triple checked, Mark is forced to conclude that the beep is not, in fact, coming from the dresser, at all. Annoyed, he expands the search. The closet near the dresser, under the bed, among the worn-out shoes and used gift bags. Even the bed itself, where sheets and blankets might hide the culprit. Nothing. Anger begins to tickle somewhere in the rear of Mark's brain, that he remembers what he said to Rita, and he has his pride. And so he steps to the center of the room, faces the wall with the dresser, stills himself, slows his breathing, closes his eyes, and again Mark listens. Listens for the beep. He turns his head to the left. He turns his head to the right. Yes, the dresser. It has to be. This time, Mark is thorough. He removes each drawer, laying them on the bed for inspection, hovering over them, quiet and grim. But as he stares, waiting, It quickly becomes clear 
The beep has not moved. It's still coming from the dresser, the empty, drawerless dresser. He peers in. Nothing stuck in the slats. No foreign objects in the backing or underneath. And so Mark moves the dresser away from the wall, just enough to stick his head in and listen. What? The beep was never in the dresser or the closet or the bed. The beep is in the wall. Rita, who has long since made her apologies to poor, forgotten Jeff, returns to the bedroom. What are you doing? Did you find it? Oh, I found it. I think it's in the wall. Nuh-uh. Are you serious? Get in here and listen. Come on. Right there. About three feet up. Oh, my God. What? What is that? I have no idea. Is it some kind of electrical thing? There shouldn't be anything in there at all. Maybe a little wiring, but nothing that should be able to beep like that. Maybe it's around on the other side. Nope, nope. I checked. It's not in the kids' room. You can hear it from over there, too. It's definitely inside the wall. Do you think something could have gotten in there? Like, fallen from the attic, or maybe the roof, or... I I, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, this is ridiculous. It's unbelievable, is what it is. I'm gonna have to tear out the drywall. No, not tonight. Just come to bed. You want me to leave it in there all night? It'll be fine. You can barely hear it. I'll get someone to look at it tomorrow. No. No, no, no. No way. I'll get it. There's no reason to get some stranger in here, okay? I'll get rid of it after work tomorrow. Don't worry about it, okay? Whatever's in there, I'll shut it up. And so, stymied, Mark and Rita retire to bed. Mark is a sound sleeper, but the beep, though quiet, proves difficult to ignore. It's something about the timing, irregular, but somehow so close to regular, sounding as it does once every three to seven seconds that it has a way of making one feel expectant, alert, anxious even. It gives you almost enough time to think about something else. But just as your focus starts to shift, whatever the reason, Mark is awake for what feels like hours, shifting, rolling, as Rita rustles and mutters beside him. And when he finally drifts off, he dreams. He is in a car, driving at high speed. And as he drives, the road begins to deteriorate, becomes chalked with potholes and patterned with rough spots that make his tires buzz and burn. He knows he really ought to slow down, but he doesn't slow down. He can't slow down. Though the car is rattling and bucking and careening across the road, and he flashes past sign after sign screaming, Stop! Danger! Wrong way! And the dashboard blares with red and yellow warning lights, flashing, blinking, in time with the beep. 
When the alarm sounds, Mark wakes instantly, and his first thought is for the beep. He fumbles the alarm switch to off, and there it is, still audible. The dresser still moved away from its wall, the problem still unresolved. And is it perhaps a little louder? It is louder, he's sure of it. Not much louder, but it's noticeably easier to hear than it was last night. Why would it be louder? Uh, I can still hear it. I did not sleep well. Me either. Weird dreams. Like what? It doesn't matter. Don't mean anything. Okay, grumpy. Mark is grumpy. The beep is coming from inside the wall, and that means that someone messed up. Incompetence never fails to irritate Mark. But he figures that if he gets started right after work, he'll have time to cut out a panel of drywall, find and silence the beep maker, and have the wall patched and repainted before bed. He feels some satisfaction that he, Mark, is the sort of man who can do that kind of thing. He will conquer the beep and restore peace and order to his home. Or so he believes. Later, at work, he makes a list. And on his lunch break, he pops over to a local hardware store and buys everything on that list. And when he returns home that evening, he kisses Rita and the children, walks into his bedroom, arms full of tools and supplies, and hears the beep. He smiles. He believes, really believes, that he is ready, that he will tackle this problem, this someone else's mess, and he will fix it. The beep is definitely easier to hear now, and it's clearly coming from a spot just behind the wall, about three feet up from the floor. Without delay, Mark sets to work with pencil and tape, drill and saw, and the fiery joy of conquest in his heart such that, within minutes, he has created a clean, perfectly square panel in the drywall, and with one righteous last cut, he pulls it away to reveal... nothing. The beep is much clearer now, but Mark sees nothing. He points his phone light into the hole, swinging it around to check from every angle... Nothing. No object at all. Not on the floor or hanging from a stud. Nothing. Is it not real? What the... Brain churning, he reaches absently into the hole to brush away a few ancient cobwebs. And as his hand passes through the empty darkness from which the beep emanates... Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Indeed. 
Mark flinches away as if burned or shocked, though he feels no pain. For in his ignorance and distraction, he has touched the beep. When it sounded that time, his hand had been in it, or it had been in his hand. He does not know which. But he felt something, a vibration, a definite buzzing sensation from inside his palm. His first impulse, as a distinctly simian curiosity blooms in his brain, is to try it again, to confirm it. Back to the hole he scoots, extending a fist this time. He waits and waits. And just as he's about to chicken out, and there it is, confirmation. Mark is too stunned to move. The beep isn't coming from anything. There's no toy or tool or dying battery to be found. No mistake to correct. It's just a beep. A beep simply existing, hanging in the clear air, and nothing more. For a long while, Mark just sits, listening to it. And then he goes back to work. It's another hour or so before Rita comes in to tell Mark that his dinner is ready. Hey, Marky, I've got dinner. Oh, what the hell? Rita! Rita, come look, come see. What come are you doing, Mark? What What happened to the wall? Okay, okay, calm down a second. I am calm, but I'm... S- I mean, half of my bedroom wall is gone. I needed to be able to get at it from both sides, make sure it was really there. Get to what? Mark, I can still hear that beep. Right? Me too. What's making it? What's in there? Okay, okay. Nothing. Okay? Nothing is making the noise. Mark, that doesn't make any sense. I know. Check it out. Come here. Come here. Mark, what? What? Look, look, look. There's the spot, okay? There's there's nothing there, right? No, nothing on the floor, nothing anywhere nearby, but I can still hear it. And so can you. Yeah. And listen, listen, you can tell it's coming from right here, right where the wall was. Walk around a little, you'll see. Oh my god, Mark, what? What's going on? What are you doing? I don't, I don't like this. This is really scaring me now. It's not me, babe. This is what I found when I cut into the wall. It's just, it's just there. It's, it's like noise coming from nothing. Mark, holy shit. I know, I know. It's completely nuts, okay? I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Watch, watch. Listen what happens when I put my hand in it. Look. Ah, don't, don't touch it. Don't it is, touch it. Uh, wild, right? It doesn't hurt exactly, but it's not comfortable. Marky, I don't like this at all. I know. Me neither. I, I listen from all over the room. I thought maybe it was just an echo or something, but I don't think it's coming from anywhere else. I mean, Ted probably has some equipment I can borrow tomorrow to make sure. I, I know he's got to have, like, a decibel meter at the very least. Tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, Ted's an audio engineer. He's got a bunch of stuff like that. The first thing I want to do is make sure it's not just an auditory illusion or something. Like, what do you call it? The, um, the somebody effect. Mark is referring, of course, to the Franson effect, wherein a listener in an enclosed acoustic environment fails to accurately localize the source of a sound. But Rita neither knows 
nor cares. Mark, we can't just leave it there. We have to get somebody. Get somebody? No, 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 yeah, no, no experts. No, no. Someone who can deal with this stuff. No, this Rita. No, Rita. I'm not bringing right anyone in here to poke Mark, around our you home. You don't know okay. what you're doing. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, I don't know... It's an old argument. Mark has always preferred to do his own handyman work. Plumbing, wiring, roofing, carpentry, whatever the task. Mark takes pride in fixing things himself, instead of paying for outside help. He associates with the idea so strongly, in fact, that it has become an integral part of his self-concept, his personal continuity, his ethos, and so there is little hope he will recognize how utterly out of his depth he is now. I don't care how many times you say it, okay? I'm not calling anyone. Whatever it is, it's not hurting anything. It's probably just a prank or something, okay? It's a noise. It's a noise. I can handle it. Fine. Fine, but I'm not staying here. Not with the wall like that. And there's something about that beep. It just makes me uncomfortable. Don't you feel it? Like it's... Not safe. Like, we're not supposed to be here. It's a noise, Rita. It's a noise. Well, I'm going to my mom's for tonight. Sure. Take Nikki and Milo with you. Oh, they're not staying here. And I'm not bringing them back here until that beep is out of my house and my bedroom wall doesn't have a massive goddamn new door in it. All right, Rita, do what you want. You and your mom can get in some quality time, <laughs> trash talk me a little while I figure this out. Yes, sure. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Just try not to wreck the room more than you already have. And so, after clearing away the uneaten food, making sure to leave some in the Tupperware for Mark, Rita gathers the children and drives away, leaving her husband to his self-appointed task. There is something about the beep, and it does make him uncomfortable, though he cannot admit it to himself. There is something about the sound of it, its tone, the high pitch, and it seems richer to him now, somehow, more complex. He wonders at first if it is just his imagination, an illusion produced by a brain starved by repetition, but no. It's definitely changing, as well as getting louder. Why? Why would it be changing? The beep is speaking to him, undeniable and alien. And deep down, way back in his rear brain, an ancient voice answers, whispering, Run, go, flee, danger. But Mark ignores the cold claw gripping his guts. He knows that voice, and he never listens to it. And so the moment passes, and Mark heads downstairs, where, within minutes, he'll be munching on Rita's food and Googling contentedly. Hours pass. Mark has eaten his food, completed his research, and compiled his lists for tomorrow. Items to borrow from Ted, items to buy from the hardware store, and whiled away some time on the internet. He knows his plan for tomorrow, knows just how he's going to isolate the source of the beep, and that feels good. 
but he's also fighting a certain reluctance to head upstairs for bed. It's quieter down here. The beep still audible, but distant enough that one can almost forget about it. But he will be just goddamned if he's going to spend the night on the couch, and he trudges upstairs. It takes some willpower to walk up to the bedroom and open the door. There's no way he's sleeping through that. Something will have to be done. He looks. He thinks. Ah, yes. The clamp from his work light. A length of cord. Rita's pillow. It takes a few minutes of measuring and wrangling, and the pillow turns out to work better, reinforced with a couple of blankets. But soon, Mark's homemade muffler dangles from the arch of the cutaway wall, neatly engulfing the beep. That's better. Still audible, surprisingly so, but muted. He puts on a podcast Rita sometimes uses to fall asleep. Downright tolerable. Mark settles down to sleep. But there is no sleep. There is tossing. There is turning. There is sweating, cursing, rolling over and around. There is anything but sleep. And behind it all, the beep. Finally, it is 3.48, and Mark is asleep at last. His hands, flung above his head, are twitching, for in his dream he is holding Rita's cat, Delilah Boo, holding her down as she tries to escape from his lap. There is a flea on her somewhere, he believes, and he is pulling out pinches of fur as he searches for it, while the cat mews piteously, clawing him ever more desperately, till his arms and legs and Delilah Boo herself are sticky with his blood, yet he plucks away, pinching and yanking, as hair fills the air, and the cat yells in terror and pain, a long, horrid screech that trails into... The beep. And the morning. Mark is bleary and stupefied, and the beep is louder than ever. From where he lays, Mark can see the side of his homemade muffler. It's swaying just a little, and every time the beep goes off, it vibrates. He shudders and rises. Eleven minutes later, he is dressed and in the seat of his car, driving away from his home and the beep in blessed, wholesome silence. He is ashamed of the relief he feels. Sitting in his cubicle that afternoon, fiddling with busy work to pass the time, Mark experiences a growing dread. Soon the workday will be over, Soon it will be time to marshal what resources he has and confront the beep again. He has a plan of action, which usually makes him feel better, and yet the beep has shaken him. He doesn't want to hear it again. That much he knows for certain, and he is filled with an inscrutable reluctance to return home. But why? It's just a noise. A strange noise, yes, but why should a man, a strong man, a capable man, be afraid of a noise? There has to be an explanation. A beep doesn't just happen. 
A beep is created. If there's a beep, it's because someone put it there. And that, that, and not some primitive fear of noise, Mark thinks, must be why the whole thing is so unsettling. Who would do such a thing? Who could? Is it a byproduct of something? An accident? A warning? Or an enemy of some kind? Yes, that's more likely. Another engineer, perhaps, envious of his success and armed with some clever new gadget, executing a puerile prank, testing him to see how long before he cracks and runs for help. Mark feels a dark thrill. He is being targeted. Someone is out to get him, is trying to get to him, to shatter his domestic peace and rob him of sleep and basic comfort, and it's up to him, Mark, to put a stop to it. He has no idea how wrong he is, of course, so close and yet so far from the truth, that we who know better cannot help but pity him. But fantasizing about the beep in those terms makes the fear more manageable, and in this way he passes a more or less pleasant afternoon. Feet on the sidewalk, arms loaded down with plastic bags and equipment totes, Mark stands frozen in front of his home. The beep is now audible from the outside. Mark senses that this, this moment, right now, might be his last chance to turn back. He senses correctly. But alas, there stands Mr. Garvish, the neighbor. He is tending his immaculate lawn, but he is also staring at Mark with frank disapproval, eyes cutting back and forth between Mark and his house with obvious implication. And that is enough. Mark drags his feet into motion and trudges up his sidewalk and so passes his last real opportunity for deliverance. Inside, he finds that the beep has continued to evolve. It's louder, that much is obvious, but it's so much more vibrant than before, and there are complex overtones that he's sure are new. And is it speeding up? It certainly wouldn't pass for a dying toy battery now, Mark thinks. Last night's pillow muffler lies unraveled on the floor, which is disconcerting, but no matter. Mark dumps his gear in an unrepentant pile on the floor, next to the wall opposite the beep, and retrieves a colorful, chunky microphone, Ted's decibel meter. With a push of a button, it clocks the beep at 67 decibels in the bedroom itself. Pretty loud. Loud enough to make Mark's next task an obnoxious one. But he expected the beep to be louder, knew it would be, and he is prepared. From one of his plastic bags, Mark pulls a pair of heavy-duty, double-shell, noise-blocking earmuffs and slips them on. Mark has purchased some serious, top-of-the-line earmuffs, 
rated for use with construction equipment, heavy machinery, that sort of thing. At 67 decibels, he shouldn't be able to hear the beep at all. But there it is, clear as a bell. Another fucking mystery, god damn it. This is ridiculous. What the hell are you? What are you trying to do to me? Yep, that's what I thought. Well, whatever you are, I am done fucking around. I'm going to figure you out, Beep, you little freak. I'm going to find out where you're coming from. That's right. First, I'm going to isolate you. Then, I'm going to block whatever's sending you. Oh, yes, and you'll be dead, and I can get my bedroom back. Don't you fucking interrupt me. (laughs) All right. Trash-talking the beep feels good and gives Mark an illusory but comforting sense of control. It's time to get to work. Mark's first ploy is a diverse array of signal-jamming devices, as many as he was able to buy or borrow on short notice. Spot jammers, sweep and barrage jammers, jammers for Wi-Fi and cell phone and radar frequencies, even one designed for jamming GPS. This occupies him for more than an hour. None of them has the slightest effect on the beep. But he is prepared for that, too. Fine, he thinks. We'll do it the hard way. A series of trips back out to the car and down to the basement yield a stack of two-by-fours, power tools, boxes of screws, fasteners, hinges, and roll after roll of vinyl, rubber, and fiberglass insulation blanketing. Mark works for hours submerged in a dull, eerie, near silence, just him and the dim vibrations of his tools through the earmuffs and the beep. A two-by-four frame, cage-like with an odd-looking interlocking door, endless stapling of rubber sheets and insulation, sealing, testing, sealing again. At last, just after midnight, it's finished, self-contained, perfectly sealed, reinforced outside and in, a little soundproof room for the beep with just enough space for Mark to sit comfortably inside, facing the beep. He has used all his skill in making it. He has used triple the recommended amount of insulated material. When he seals the door, no sound under 100, maybe 110 decibels, should be able to get through. He removes the earmuffs, massaging his cramped ears. All that's left now is to shut the door and see if it works. It's the longest three to seven seconds in Mark's life. He scrambles out of the little chamber and fastens the door again. Surely if it can still be heard inside the soundproof chamber, then from the outside... 
Mark stands panting, swearing gently to himself as he realizes that all of his effort has been wasted. The beep is perfectly clear inside the soundproofing, and outside the soundproofing it's audible as well, and neither one of those facts makes any sense at all. For the first time, Mark wonders if the beep might be in some way supernatural, and if he, Mark, might be completely out of his depth. It's not, but he is. But there's nothing for it. He has another plan involving lead ingots and a homemade Faraday cage, but that will have to wait until tomorrow. For now, Mark is defeated. He closes the soundproof door, dons his earmuffs again, and collapses on the bed. But he can still hear it, still through two feet of soundproofing and state-of-the-art noise-blocking earmuffs. Beep. 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 Mark is, at last, afraid. He weeps, just a little, with fatigue and frustration and fear, and shuddering, draws his legs up into his chest. He misses Rita. Why doesn't he leave? Why can't he just... leave? Mark looks up, suddenly wide awake. There is a woman standing over him, close, too close, peering down at him with eyes so wide they look flayed open. Mom? Mark's mother's name is Cora Burster, and she has been dead for three years. But she looms over him now, rictus-faced, with pain or anger or fear. And when she speaks, it sounds wrong, and her mouth opens so much wider than it should. Mark freezes, his skin rippling with terror as he draws back into the bed. He wants to obey, but his arms only twirl feeble at his sides, and now his dead mother's face is so close to his face, and she screams at him with a voice of the beast. Mark spasms awake, his ears roaring, his eyes seized and cramping. He has no idea what time it could be, and the digits blaring from his bedside clock refuse to organize into meaning. His earmuffs are tangled in the blankets at his feet, and the soundproof room has toppled, four walls splayed in four directions, shredded rubber scattered on the carpet like confetti. The beep is free, and the sound of it is merciless. It's a wild klaxon now, screaming across pitches and wailing out his failure to the world like the mother of every beep he's ever heard, every warning signal and wrong answer buzzer and door ajar alert and goddamn TSA metal detector alarm that ever troubled humanity's peace of mind. And Mark realizes, huddling there in sweat-soaked sheets, that it's been there from the beginning. This is the true beep, fully grown, hiding no longer, revealed at last in the fullness of its terrible, ineffable purpose. The urge to run from it is tremendous. But Mark doesn't run. It's far too late for that. The most he can do for a long while is stare and listen. Listen. 
When he hears the door slam, he feels a surge of relief. Mark? Rita? Up here. Mark, oh my God, what happened? I tried, honey. I tried as hard as I could. Mr. Garvish called. He said it's been going off all night. You can hear it from the street. No. I'm glad you're here. We have to go. Mark, we have to go right now. No, 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 not yet. What? It's still beeping. Mark, please, come with me. I already called the police. They'll be here soon, and we can just... The police? You called the police? Relief turns to rage, and suddenly Mark's mind is clearer. This isn't over. You're goddamn right I did. This is crazy. We need to go. No. This is my home. please. I'm not going to lose my home over a fucking beep. Get away from that thing, Mark. Get off me. I've had enough, you hear me? I'm I'm a man, goddammit, and I'm not losing to that thing. You hear that? You're not going to beat me. I'll stop you. Fucking kill you. Mark stumbles over the wreckage of the soundproof room and attacks the beep swinging his fists at the nothingness, blind with fury and horror and loss. And so it comes to pass that Mark Burster, 36, male, software engineer, father of two and husband to Rita, steps into the beep, taking it into his own body, his own chest cavity, in a last desperate attempt to mute it forever. You now! Oh God! Oh shit! Mark! Oh shit! I—it's stuck. Oh shit! It hurts. It hurts my chest. It's in my chest. I can feel it. Help me, At first. When her eyes have recovered from the blinding flash of light, Rita thinks that Mark is gone, transformed somehow into what looks to be a floating iridescent sphere about the size of a car with a mirror-sheen surface that undulates like ripples on a peaceful lake. She has no idea what the sphere might be, but it's hovering right where the beep used to be, and it's beautiful. So beautiful that it takes several long seconds for her to realize that Mark is not gone. Mark is still in the room, all over the room, dripping from the ceiling, splattered in clumps across the floor. Some larger parts, legs perhaps, torn and twitching beneath the sphere. She raises a hand to her hair and finds him there as well. But then, then the sphere opens, and from it descend a pair of beings so lovely, so graceful and gorgeous, that for a moment her scream stops in her throat, and all she can do is gaze and wonder as they step from the sphere and begin to speak. Do not be afraid, person of Earth. Long have we watched you from afar, and now we have reached the frigid space between universes to bring peace, unity, and new technology to... Wait. Wait. What? Is that organic material all over the... Oh, 
creator of the multiverse. Is that a person? It's my husband. <laughs> well, what the hell? Why was it standing in the transmission zone? Did it not hear the beep? I... I... You know what? I think this was a mistake. These things are not quite as sensitive as I thought they were. Let's just... Let's just go. Come on. The Beep was written by Alex Mayberry, with music, sound design, and editing by Ben Patterson and Matt Tracy, and voice acting by Dale Leopold, Matt Tracy, and Rebecca Muehlman. Thanks for listening to Phantom Limb. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash phantomlimb. At Free Jambalaya, we follow a collaborative, egalitarian model for all our work, so every dollar we make above cost gets divided equally among the fine folks who donated their time and talent to this project.